Thank you, Lynn. Didn't Lynn do a great job? There was a lot of announcements today. It's good to see you this morning. If we don't know each other, my name is Brian. I'm pastor here at Mount Hope Belmont, and it's good to be in worship together. I look forward to this every week, this chance to come together and worship our God uh, with one another. And in just a minute, we're going to be in Luke chapter 20, verse 9. And if you, it'll be up on the screens, but if you want to grab the Bibles and the seats in front of you, it's page 879 is the page that we're going to be on there. Uh, and we'll be there in just a moment. I, I appreciate Lynn talking about our global outreach celebration that's coming up in October. And those QR codes that you saw, if you didn't get a chance to... to um, scan those codes. They'll be up over the next couple of weeks, so you could be a part of that, uh, your language. And then, if, as Lynn said, if you were born in a country outside of the United States, we want to celebrate uh, the diversity in our congregation on, in that month. Uh, so we want to make sure that we have an accurate list, if you can help us with that. If you've been with us over the summer, you know we've been in this sermon series where we've been talking through the parables of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. And we've done a number of parables, and some of them have, have caused us to deal with some, some pretty tough stuff. And I think today is, is no exception to that. We'll get into that in just a moment. We only have two weeks left in this series after today. We'll do the 28th, and then we'll do uh, Labor Day weekend. We'll close this series uh, in the parables. And then uh, in, this, in September, sort of fittingly, I suppose, on September 11th, we'll start a new sermon series where we're talking about what does God's word say about anxiety and worry. Uh, and we'll do that through the month of September leading up into global outreach. Uh, as, pa as your pastors, we've been reading a book uh, by Max Lucado uh, over the last uh, couple of months on this topic. Uh, and we were so blessed by it that we really felt like God was asking us to spend some weeks talking about this. And so we're going to do that in September. I'm looking forward to that. Today, we're still in the gospel of Luke. And uh, there's this thing that, that I feel in my life. And my guess, my guess is that you feel it too. And, and I'll talk through this for just a moment before we get into this passage. Uh, you ever feel this? When somebody in authority, I mean, teacher, boss, parent, uh, you know, when someone in authority says something or does something and you're not 100% sure that you like it, right? Your boss says, our team is going to do this. And you're thinking to yourself, well, that doesn't sound very fun to me at all. Or the teacher says, we're all going to do this. And we're all giving public speaking uh, assignments next week. And you're saying to yourself, that sounds horrendous, right? And so uh, there's, this, there's this moment in, in my heart and your heart where we have to make this decision. Will we hear what that person in authority is saying and come under their authority? Or will we resist what that person is saying and harden our hearts toward it, right? There's this moment where we have to make that decision. Will I hear what this person is saying and come under their authority and say, okay, they're the teacher. If they want us to do public speaking assignments, I'll do it. Or do we harden our heart against it and complain every single day until it happens? And you know what this is like. You ever, you ever been, uh, I remember when I first moved to Bo the Boston area, I went to Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary up in Hamilton on the North Shore. And when I first moved here 20 years ago now this month, which is amazing to me, August 20, 2002, I moved here. And so 
when I was there, I, I came here and I drove a, a late 90s white Pontiac Bonneville with Nebraska license plates, all right? It was a car about the size of a cruise ship, nice big bench in the front row. Does anyone, they don't even make the bench anymore. Nice big bench in the front row, 75 cup holders, six seats, uh, and... and uh, that thing, you could see it coming from a long ways away. Nebraska's license plates were bright orange back then, so you knew it was me. I stood out like a sore thumb in the land of Massachusetts. And I remember, uh, I've only received one ticket uh, since I've, I've been here in Massachusetts, but I was driving in the Hamilton-Wenham area, and I was at a stop sign, and I stopped. And then I started going, and I pulled around a corner, and a police officer pulled me over. And he said, you were doing 45 and a 35. Now listen... I did not agree <laughs> with this police officer's assessment of how fast I was going. And partly because I was about 400 feet past the stop sign. And in my experience, that Bonneville took about six to seven miles to get up to 45 miles an hour, right? It was not a fast vehicle. It was for a slow Sunday ride. But what am I, what am I supposed to do? I, I don't have any proof. And you know what? He was probably correct. But I have a choice to make in that moment, right? Well, I come under authority or will I try to exert my own authority? So I tried to exert my own authority. I went to the courthouse a few months, a few weeks later, and I stood up there and I said, there's no possible way I was going 45 miles an hour. There's no way my car could go that fast. And he said, he definitely was going that fast. And the judge said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll reduce the ticket, but you have to pay it. So I have to come under authority, right? And you know that feeling. There's still something inside of you that wants to exert your own authority, but you, but you have to come under authority. It's the right thing to do. There was another time, it was three in the morning, and I was uh, going, I used to work in the middle of the night uh, when I was in seminary, loading brown packages into brown package cars at UPS. And I was on 95 driving from the campus of the seminary uh, to work at about three in the morning. A state trooper pulled up behind me. In fact, he pulled up next to me and he shined his spotlight into my car. And I looked over and there was this blinding light as I was driving down the road. And then he backed up behind me and he flipped on his siren and his lights. And you know what? I said to myself, I'm not pulling over. I'm exerting my authority here in this moment. And he pulled up next to me and uh, he, he flashed his lights. And then he looked at me and he just smiled and he drove off because... I knew it was my wife's uncle, Steve Viola, who helped, to, who helped to renovate this entire church. And I knew he was just messing with me at three in the morning because he knew that that white Bonneville with Nebraska plates, there was no other choice at three in the morning. And there are these moments, right, where you have to gauge authority and figure out, hey, when do I come under authority? When, do I, when can I exert my own authority? And you know that feeling. We get to this moment in Scripture. And there's this place where Jesus is exerting his authority. And some people are hearing this and they're coming under his authority. And other people, they resist it. And their hearts are hardened against it. And in fact, what we find out in this parable is that this hasn't been going on, not just with Jesus here on the earth, but for generations that people have been hearing God's word. And rather than come under his authority, they were resisting and hardening their hearts toward his authority. And it's in Luke chapter 20 here, verse 9, uh, where we read that Jesus began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. 
When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one they also wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. You know, these parables, we've said it throughout the summer. These parables, they usually teach us one lesson about the kingdom of God and our response to it and how we're supposed to live. And it's usually the illustrations in the parables are usually pretty direct. And so to really understand what Jesus is saying in a parable, we have to look at the context of what he's saying. And we have to understand the imagery of the parable in the same way that the people to whom Jesus is speaking would receive the parable. And so stick with me for a moment. Before we get into how this applies to us, we need to understand how it applied to them. And so we need to back up. When we say, when we read these words at the very beginning, and we, we read that, uh, you know, Jesus begins to tell them a parable, we need to back up and figure out what's happened right before this. And what we see in the, with the people in Jesus in this moment, with the religious leaders that are there in Jesus, is that there is ongoing tension between God's authority and their authority. Just like I would suggest to you in your life and in my life, there is ongoing tension in our lives between God's authority and our authority. And this is the way it was playing out in Jesus's life at this moment. Jesus has come into the city of Jerusalem in what's called the triumphal entry. My guess is even if you're not very familiar with church, you're familiar with a Sunday that we call Palm Sunday. And so Jesus has come into the city of Jerusalem and people laid down their coats and they treated him like a king as he was coming into the city and the religious leaders are watching this. They're the ones that, are, that have had authority over the people when it comes to spiritual matters. And now here comes Jesus riding on a donkey into Jerusalem, much like a king might, and they're throwing palm branches down and they're throwing their jackets down and they're welcoming a new king into the city of Jerusalem. And they're watching this happen, the religious leaders, and then Jesus comes into the city city now less than a week before he'll go to the cross and he goes into the temple in the city of Jerusalem and he, be, he cleanses the temple of all of those who are doing illegal practices within the temple and he throws people out of the temple people that the religious leaders had allowed to be there and then now he's teaching in the temple and the religious leaders come up as he's teaching in the temple and they say by what authority do you do these things I mean, they're furious. The city is bustling because people are in town to celebrate the Passover. There's many people in the city of Jerusalem. It's busting at the seams. 
And here Jesus comes in upstaging them, riding in on a donkey, and the people are responding. And then he's overturning tables of money changers and kicking people out of the temple. And then he's teaching with authority in the temple. And the religious leaders are saying to themselves, where does this guy get the gall to come into our city and do these things? And they ask him, by what authority do you do this? Jesus really if you read the passage, doesn't engage too much with the question. But after rebuffing them, tells this parable. And he began to tell the people a parable we read, and he said, a man planted a vineyard. And something that we have to understand here is that we might wonder to ourselves, this is an interesting location that Jesus would choose, a vineyard. And we picture the rolling hills of Sonoma and Napa Valley or whatever comes to your mind. Andrew and Rosemary just got back from the south of France this last week. So right now in their mind, they're they're thinking those beautiful places that they went this last week celebrating their fifth anniversary. And so, but, but Jesus is choosing a very specific illustration here. When he says a man planted a vineyard, the religious leaders who are standing right in front of them know exactly who he's talking about. He's talking about them. Vineyard is a term that God uses in the Old Testament to talk about his people and the nation of Israel. In fact, if we were to go back to Isaiah chapter 5, I'll just read a few verses here. A passage that was written hundreds of years before Jesus was on the face of this earth. And a passage with which Jesus' audience here would be very familiar. We would read something like this. God talking to his people and saying, what more was there for, to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I will break down its walls and it shall be trampled. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. Well, what is the vineyard? For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. So when Jesus said a man planted a vineyard, right after the religious leaders challenged his authority, the religious leaders who are, are, know their scriptures would know immediately what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the nation of Israel and the ongoing tension that has existed for generations between the nation of Israel accepting God's authority over them or exerting their authority instead. And Jesus goes right at the heart of this when they say, by what authority do you teach? There would have also been uh, at, the, at the opening in Herod's temple, the temple that Jesus is standing in, they had built a, a grapevine that went up and around one of the doors. And it was 70 cubits high, 100 feet tall about. And it was all made out of gold. And there were, there were precious stones that represented the grapes. And so you have this amazing imagery of the grapevine, even as Jesus is telling this parable of the vineyard that they all would have been familiar with. They know exactly who he's talking about. This isn't some random winery that Jesus is bringing up. You know, I don't know about you, but in my life, 
And in the lives of everyone I have met, there is this ongoing tension between God's authority in your life and your desire to be in charge of your life. And I wonder even sitting here right now, the places in your life where over and over again, God has tried to get your attention. And over and over again, God has said, I'm the one who's in charge of your life. I want you to live this way, or I want you to stop this behavior. I want to start you to start this behavior. I want you to be in this relationship. I want you to be out of this relationship. I want you to move forward in this calling. I want you to stay away from that place. I want you to begin a relationship with me. I want you to accept my authority in your life. And over and over again in our lives, we have pushed back and said, whoa, I'll take some of the good things that you're saying. But at the end of the day, I'm in charge. When I was growing up in church, we used to do this thing that, that uh, I think sometimes we look back on. If you grew up in, in like an evangelical church, contemporary style church, uh, we look back on and we think it was an awesome idea in hindsight, but when we were living through it, I mean, there was, there was some times that it was, it was kind of tough. And we used to do every single week, we had something called the offertory. Is anyone familiar with the offertory? Does anyone remember the offertory? No, Carmelina does. That's it? That's it. Two people remember. All right. All right. Now you're, now you're with me. Some of you remember the offertory. This is what the offertory was. Every week you pass the baskets where you collect the offering. And then while the offering baskets were being passed, someone would come up on stage and they would do special music, right? And sometimes it was awesome, right? It was Sandy Patty's love in any language or Ray Boltz's, you know, thank you for giving to the Lord or Steve Green's people need the Lord or, Kat, or Amy Grant's thy word, right? Those were the four options that you could do. Sometimes it was a human video. If you don't know what that is, Google that, and you can see, like, it's a good thing we got rid of those. And then uh, sometimes it was, you know, Johnny had played the trumpet for two days, and he was going to do, oh, when the saints go marching in, and everyone's ears were bleeding. But one time, our, uh, our, one of our worship leaders at our church that I grew up in, she, she took five of us out of the youth group. She said, I want you guys to do an offertory. And so she had this very mid-90s song called All Things Are Possible, uh, very poppy, very upbeat, and we all had our microphones in a row on the stage, you know, the wired microphones, giant orange foam topper, if you remember those. And uh, in practice, she said to us, she said, at the end, it ended with this line, all things are possible. And she said, at the end, when you sing all things are possible, I want you to point like, like this, Right? I want you to point. And we had a little powwow of uh, uh, the five of us. And we said, uh, everyone kind of said, I I'm not pointing. Do you want to point? I, and I said, I don't want to point either. Like, oh, fine, we're singing this song, but we don't want to point. And, and so, uh, you know, we were like, we just, we're not new kids on the block. That was a very relevant reference at the time. We're not new kids on the block. We don't want to point during this song. And so uh, somehow the lots fell on me to convey to our worship leader that we weren't going to point. And I'll never forget it. I was standing on the stage as far away as my wired mic would let me stand when I had to deliver this news. And I said to her, I said, you know, we had a little powwow and, and we don't want to do the point. And I'll never forget, she put both her hands on the top of this like baby grand piano and she stood up over the piano and just stared me down. And she said, when you're in charge, you can do what you want, but right now, this is my thing. 
And so we pointed. <laughs> but you know, I look back on that, and it, it really like, wasn't her thing. It wasn't any of our things. Like, when you come into worship, it's not your thing ever. It's always God's thing. And now I wish that I could stand here this morning and say, well, I'm glad I've never been like her, but I know exactly what it's like to be like her. I'm more guilty of being like she was in that moment than not being like that in my life. Where God says something, or I come into worship, or I prepare a sermon, and, and there's something that God wants to do, and I say, well, that's great, but right now this is my thing. And I wonder how many times in your life that God has come to you and, and, and tried to present to you his love and the gospel truth about who Jesus Christ is and the relationship he wants you to have with him. And how many times he's come and tried to direct you and lead you. And we've kind of stood up and we said, listen, when you're in charge at the end of time, you can do what you want. But right now, this life, this is my thing. And that's what this religious religious leaders were doing to God and his message over and over and over again. Jesus is coming and delivering God's word and they're saying over and over to him, "Jesus, this is our thing. Leave us alone." And one of the things that we see in this passage if you find yourself in that place, if you're like me, if you find yourself in that place is that our God is very patient with us. He's very generous with us. But there is a moment where he exerts his authority. He's very patient with us, but there's a moment where he will exert his authority. And that's the message that Jesus gives to these leaders. He says that the owner of the tenant and the or the owner of the vineyard in the parable has expected that the tenants would produce some fruit, and so he sends a servant to go check on the tenants, and they beat him and send him away. And he does that a second time and a third time. And then he said, "I'll send my beloved son." And you might remember when Jesus was baptized, that the heavens open up, and God said, "This is my son, whom I love." And Jesus says, I'll send my beloved son. And he will, he will try to gain the fruit. But they reject him too. And Jesus says, there's this moment where the owner says, I'm going to take back the vineyard and I'm going to give it to other people. The religious leaders, they knew exactly what Jesus was saying. Those servants that were coming, those were the prophets the Old Testament voices, the Isaiahs and Jeremiahs, the minor prophets that were calling the people back to God, the John the Baptist that had come as a forerunner of Jesus, and the people rejected them. And Jesus is saying to these religious leaders, you want to know who, what authority I do these things by? I am God's son, who is beloved by him, and now you're rejecting me. And he's saying there will be this point where the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And he's quoting Psalm 118, verse 22 there. And it's a verse that's quoted in other places in the New Testament referring to Jesus. And Jesus says, everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. 
And Jesus, for all his love and mercy and grace, also evokes this picture of judgment here, that there is this moment where God is very generous and patient with you and me as he awaits for us to come under his authority in our lives. But there's a moment where God will exert his authority. And if we will not come under his authority, he will go and find others who will. You ever had someone uh, come into a new situation and act a little too quickly like they're an owner? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like you have a house guest who comes over and they've never been to your house before and they walk in and they, they just uh, act like they own the place and they walk in and they leave their shoes on even though your family always takes your shoes off and they walk in and they, they just kind of plop themselves down in the kitchen even though you had hoped everyone would sit in the dining room and even though you set out drinks in the other room, uh, they go ahead and open up the refrigerator and start helping themselves to anything that they can find. And at, at, the, first, at the beginning, you say to yourself, well, um, you know, you kind of drop a little hint here or there. Uh, you say, oh, hey, I have drinks in the other room. You try to be nice. Or when that new employee comes into work and on their first day at the job, they walk into the team and they start assessing in front of everybody what's wrong with the team and what needs to change and how they would do things better and how at their old company they were such a hero. And everyone's looking at them and thinking, why don't you slow down for a minute? Like, just get, get, get used to this. Like, you're not in charge here. And there's this, there's this dance that you do where for a while you'll tolerate that, but at some point somebody has to speak up and say, listen, our team has been very successful and we need you to come and be a part of the team, not come and try to run the team. Or listen, you're a guest in my home and listen, and I'm glad, I want you to have a good time, but, but if you could please just eat that, what I've set out for everyone to eat because this is for something else. It's like that with God. God's very patient with us. Patient with you. Over and over, calling you to live under his authority, but there will be a time when enough is enough. As we start to close up this message, you know, there's one question that I feel like we haven't really answered. This is what Jesus is saying in this parable. But why? Why should you do this? We've talked about what you should do. You should recognize God's authority in your life. You should come under his authority rather than exert your own authority over him. But why should you do this? I think that's the question that is still left out there. And Jesus doesn't necessarily answer this in this parable other than talking about the fact that there will be a moment when it's too late. But I think there's something else that we ought to learn from this parable. Is that so often when we exert our authority, we think that we're owners of our life and of this world. But we're not owners. We're really renters. God has allowed us to live in his world. God has given you life. 
And so often it feels like we're owners over everything, that we own our property and that we own our careers and that we own our, our very lives. But in reality, when God's the one in authority, God's the one who created it all and made it all and sustained it all. He's the one in authority and we are the renters. Now, here's the thing. There's some really good advantages and benefits to being a renter rather than an owner. A number of years ago, when Caitlin, my, young, my oldest daughter, she's 11 now, she was just only maybe 18 months or two years old, we got together with a few other families and we rented a house in the Outer Banks of North Carolina. And this isn't the exact house we rented, but this is kind of what those houses look like. Many of them have multiple level wooden decks in the back that overlook the water. If you've ever been there, or you've seen pictures, kind of what they look like. And so we rented this house for a week and the house came with a grill. And when we got to the house, the grill was on the first of the two balconies. So there was the ground, there was one balcony, and then a second balcony, just like this picture. But the grill was, was right out on the patio on the very first balcony. And now renters are in and out of the house all the time, and everybody's grilling, everyone's doing things. And so the grill had not been cleaned in quite a while, but we didn't really know this at the time. And so we had steak or burgers or whatever we were cooking that night. And we went ahead and threw them on the grill. And the second we started grilling, the, there was a grease fire unlike any grease fire I have ever seen before in my life or until this day. The entire inside of the grill, the bottom was covered in grease. And the second one drop of grease dripped off those burgers or steaks and it hit the bottom of the grill, the entire thing went up in flames. And we're looking at this, and, and the flames are just about to hit the, the top deck, which is made of wood. And the whole grill is melting down around us. There's a propane tank underneath. I've never seen anything like it before. There's thick black smoke billowing out over the ocean and the beach. And all these hundreds of people on the beach, they're coming up to the top of sand dunes to try and see exactly what's going on. And this whole thing happens. And luckily, nothing too serious happened. But the whole grill melted and just burned down to the ground. We ran around the house looking for fire extinguishers. We found some. They had an expiration date of like 1842. None of them worked. And so uh, we just had to watch this thing burn and just pray that, that the house didn't catch on fire, the propane tank didn't explode. And, and thanks, thanks to the grace of God, none of that happened. Here's the great thing though. It's not our grill. Not our grill. Not our house. If that was my grill, I now have to go to the store and I have to research grills and I've spent a lot of money to buy a grill. But what we did is we called the management company and we said, listen, the grill uh, was on the first floor of the balcony and they said, why wasn't it on the ground where it belongs? And we said, we don't know, it's not our grill. Someone had it there. And we said it burned in a grease fire and it completely melted down. You know what happened? The next day a delivery guy showed up and delivered a brand new grill. Cost us nothing. Because we were renters not owners. If you're the authority in your life, every win, every loss, every heartbreak, every worry, every failure, every fear is yours to deal with on your own. It's yours. You own it. You're the owner. But God loves you. He gave you your life. And when you come under his authority, every fear, every challenge, every struggle, every happy, every happy, joyful day, and every painful day, you take it to him, the owner, 
And he carries it with you. So my prayer for us today is that we would live our lives in authority under the one who is in authority. That we would live our lives under authority of the one who is in authority. That we would recognize that God is in control and he's not a harsh judge, but he loves you. And I wonder where in your life you've been resisting his authority time after time after time. He's calling you to do something. And you've said, that sounds great, God. But I've got, I got, I've got plans. I have career goals. I have family goals. And so I, I'm just going to maintain authority for now. Or God has asked you to change something about the way that you're living, and you're saying, that sounds great. That sounds like something I'll do when I'm older, and I'm ready to slow down in my life, but for right now, I'm in charge. And God's calling you today, saying, stop wasting your time exerting your own authority when you can come and rest under mine. I'm going to invite our worship team forward as we close this morning, and I invite you, if you would, would you just bow your head and pray with me for one moment. What is that thing that you need to bring before the Lord this morning and lay at his feet? I'll be honest with you, in ministry, in pastoring, there have been so many times that I have to come before God and say, God, I'm sorry, I turned this into my thing, but it's really your thing. Forgive me. So many places in my life where I've taken the reins and I have to go back to God and say, God, forgive me for living under my own authority and not your authority. example just popped into my mind a couple weekends ago on a Sunday we were missing uh, the keyboard that we were hoping our worship team could use and I was so frustrated and I was all bent out of shape and I had to preach and I went to prayer up in the upper office here and I felt God say to me do you think whether or not people will worship has anything to do with whether or not you have the keyboard you want to have on stage? Do you think it has anything to do with that? It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with my presence and my people recognizing my presence among them. And I had to go before the Lord and say, sorry. I tried to exert my authority, but you're the one in authority. You're right. Where in your life do you need to lay it down? God, thank you that you are gracious and patient with us. Thank you that you are slow to anger and abounding in love. And Father, you're waiting for us to come and to recognize your authority in our life. Father, I pray for each and every person in this room that we would not wait until it is too late, but today would be the day that we would take our lives and lay it down. That we would stop carrying the burden of being owners of this world in our lives and we would live under the authority of the one who owns it all and is in control of it all. That we would find rest and peace in that place. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand and let's close out our time together in song.